we've come a long way to get to this point. We had an amazing event, um, as I'm sure several of you uh, were at last year. You know, 300 people in the room. We are anticipating the same uh, this evening uh, for the pitch event. Super excited that, that we're here again this year. We anticipate that it'll be uh, even larger and bigger and better. Um, I think what I'll do is I'll turn this over to the panelists to introduce themselves, and then I'll get a, give a bit more context on sort of where we're headed. Um, and that this is going to be primarily a discussion around investment in rural Colorado and rural communities and why that's important. So. Correct. All right. So. For the benefit of the, of the, uh, the folks at home. For the benefit of the folks at home. Um, yeah, so I'm Sean Bertini here from Four Points Funding. We're based out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Um, we are a couple of years in uh, to our Angel Syndicate and in the process of expanding that to be Western Slope Angels. So we're looking to spin up angel investor groups in key communities, including Roaring Fork Valley, uh, Grand Junction, Telluride, sort of organized, but we're gonna continue to work well together in uh, Durango and others. Um, so I'm really kind of here focused on the angel perspective. Hey everybody, I'm Dave Harris. Uh, I'm with Rockies Venture Club. We are uh, the largest angel investor group in Colorado. We're also the longest running angel group in the, in the country. Um, I say longest running, not the oldest. That's important, especially, you know, when <laughs> you're talking about the folks in the group. Um, and I'm also a managing partner with uh, the Rockies Venture Fund and then the new Rockies Impact Fund. So um, also sort of referencing the, the angel side, of the equation, and then a little bit on the VC side. We do invest all around Colorado, um, but myself, I'm based in Denver, and um, most of our angel groups are sort of around the front range. Uh, I don't. I guess I, I'm good. Um, my name is Mark Nogger, and I am one of the three partners at the Greater Colorado Venture Fund. It's a $15 million fund uh, focused on rural Colorado. Explicitly, the state defines rural as any county less than 150,000 in population. Um, so that's our focus area. Uh, places including all of this valley are included. And we are uh, writing 40 to 50 checks over the next five years, average check size about $250,000. And we've just got up and running last August. We've made seven investments to date. So. Hi, I'm John Rooney. I'm <clears throat> celebrating my second year in the valley. Never going to leave. It's perfect. Um, I sit on the boards of MindSpring Health and, and West Springs Hospital, and my experience has been in the public and private sector uh, building, uh, rebuilding, and m and I don't have a checkbook like these guys do. So. <laughs> and my name is Dave Mayer. I'm the founder of Aspen Entrepreneurs, um, passionate community builder uh, of, of many, many years. Started out um, in 2010 in, uh, in Boulder bringing folks together uh, around the Give First ethos, which is what just what it sounds like of giving of yourself, of your time, of your efforts, of your initiatives, of your advice, et cetera, uh, without any expectation of anything in return. And so we brought that uh, to Aspen Entrepreneurs here, and that's been super successful and humbled the, to work with Tyler and, and Mike uh, from, from GlenX and now CoVenture. We are officially uh, coming together as one, one large organization and, uh, and humbled to be here today. So, um, Mark, I wanted to start with you with regards to some of the alternative funding structures. I know you also want to talk about West Slope Angels, but maybe you can sort of jump in on, you know, I'd like 
to sort of differentiate how each of you looks at investment um, and, and give some context around that. Great. So I've been in Telluride for about four years now. I helped start the Telluride Angels Group, a very casual group of investors. Um, and then I helped run for two years the Telluride Venture Accelerator. One of the key missions of the Accelerator was really around economic development. How do we create real working middle class jobs, um, tackle issues like housing affordability, you know, creating you know, above average median income year round full time benefit paying jobs in our type of communities, which are, you know, hard to come by, right? And uh, so that being the focus, we, we had to realize, okay, what are, the real, what are the types of companies that we can actually attract and realistically expect to stay in communities like Carbondale, Telluride, Steamboat, and uh, you know, the Montrose, the Junctions, the Durangos, right? And most of those probably aren't gonna be billion dollar companies. We're not trying to build and keep the next Facebook here, although that would be great in some of our communities and others it would completely break the community if they tried. Um, just not practical, but that reality is there's a lot of you know great 10 to 50 to 100 million dollar businesses, kind of a sweet spot. And if you kind of follow the world of traditional venture capital, you know if you're a 20 million dollar company, at least you know pitching that as the future and potential, um, you just don't fit the lens of traditional VC. Since when is it a bad thing to create a 20 million dollar business that employs a bunch of great people at above average wages that you know? contribute to communities like ours. And uh, so through that, we kind of figured, all right, it's, this is a systemic thing that we can tackle, really just something as simple as term sheets. So through the accelerator, now through our fund, um, we're deploying what we're, or using what we're calling revenue-based investment instruments. Um, and those are really just a, a way to fall in between both from a cost of capital and a function of capital, somewhere between traditional debt and high growth equity. There's a great middle ground um, where you know, if we invest $100,000 into a company, they can repay on a very structured timeline, say 5% of their top line revenue um, over a period of five years with a 3x cap. That still gives us a decent IRR as an entrepreneur, as an investor, and as the entrepreneur, you actually still have uh, you know, the optionality to own your company long term, um, to not have investors pushing for that next round of growth or next investment. Um, so we found it be a sweet spot for the types of companies. I would just say, let's just be careful with the acronyms, just in case. <laughs> There's a lot of them in there, sorry. <laughs> Don't be afraid to hit it's, me. It's all good. Um, Sean, I'll let you talk about how you guys differentiate a little bit and, and maybe the future of, of West Slope Angels. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, yeah, first, I, I, we all probably should have led with, you know, thanks for having us up here and for everyone showing up. We, we really appreciate it. Um, you know, and, and uh, with these guys, I think being being great partners. So uh, we're a little bit differently, or we work a little differently in that we don't have a pre-raised fund. We're not VCs. We're we're a collection of angel investors, and so our deals are really driven much more uh, from the angel side. So um, so far, it has primarily been you know my partners and I as we sort of scour events like this and find companies of interest, we bring it back to the angel network. And if there's enough interest, we'll, we'll proceed and, and help manage that due diligence. As we go forward with Western Slope Angels, um, I think one of the things that's really clear about Angels is uh, certain rural communities in particular, I think, there's a lot of regional affinity. 
So the investors in this room may be much more likely to support, you know, a company coming out of the Roaring Fork Valley, uh, not only to support local economy, but you get a better sense of, you know, somebody that knows those people, you can attest to their character, you can, you know, you can show up to their happy hours and, and you know, kind of have a, a sense that you know, give you an anchor in the community. And so going forward, as we spin up these umbrellas in various communities, we're going to be looking for the angel investors that are connected and working in their own communities to help sort of source these companies and shine a light on them. Um, you know, and then we can help come in and, and break down some of those terms like IRR, um, right, and revenue-based investing, uh, you know, and, and help navigate term sheets and other things uh, to make sure that, that the deals get done in a way that's, that's safe for investor and investee. Right. So, so yeah, so we're much more driven from the angel side than, um, you know, from, from the managers, especially as we look forward. So. Yeah. So I, you know, at its base, it's, um, when you look at sort of the, the tiers of funding, you know, most small companies start off with a, with a friends and family round. And if you have a, a relationship with somebody and you're not publicly advertising, that could potentially be anybody that wants to help invest in your business. By the time you get to raising, and the terms kind of vary a little bit in terms of pre-seed or seed or series A, they're all sort of fungible numbers that seem to just get bigger and bigger over time. But once you go out and sort of start publicly looking for money from a group like us, um, that's anybody that is an accredited investor that would like to invest in that company. And Ab absolutely yeah and so accredited investor um, somebody that has a, a million dollars in assets outside of their their uh, primary residence or have earned either two hundred thousand dollars as an individual or three hundred thousand dollars as a couple for the previous two years and expects to make the same amount and those rules I keep hearing they're they're looking at ways to to change or lower that barrier and, and make it a little more flexible the intent is to um, make sure that people are investing. Angel investing, any type of early startup investing is a risky endeavor. They're trying to set some bar for you know people that not only you would hope maybe if they have money are sophisticated, I can tell you that's not necessarily true, um, but that they, they could potentially afford to lose that money. And so that's, that's where that bar is set. And from our perspective, anybody that um, can self-certify that they are an accredited investor can invest alongside us for as little as $10,000 per investment. So uh, we fall kind of, I literally fall between Mark and Sean, but we sort of fall between these two. Um, so a little bit of context. So our angel group, um, all accredited investors as Sean just defined, we've got 215 individuals that are in the group. So when you have a group of that size, we're just sort of by nature generalists. We look at pretty much every industry. Um, but primarily we're focused, uh, you know, going back to those rounds that, that Sean just walked through, sort of the seed stage or early stage capital. So we're usually the first lead of, of first significant uh, capital injection in a company. So usually when they're raising half a million to say $2 million, that's where we really come into play. Um, our angel group makes about 25 investments per year. And then our fund, the first fund I mentioned, uh, we've made 30 investments since 2017. So we're doing about you know, one or two investments every month. So we're staying um, pretty active. But for a little bit of just quick history, so I mentioned we're the longest running group in the country, been around since 1985. That doesn't mean since 1985, this has been a highly active angel group that's doing five to $7 million of investment. Um, so there was a period of time, especially like in the late 90s, early 2000s, where uh, the angel group that we have was largely just service providers. 
So these are like attorneys and financial services folks. And if you're an attorney or financial services person, sorry, but it wasn't what we wanted the angel group to look like. So um, <laughs> you're serving a very important thing in the community. But uh, so we kind of had a reset in about 2012. That's, that's where uh, RVC or Rockies Venture Club 2.0 sort of started. Um, and, and what we really tried to do was uh, really get folks that were, wanted to be active investors and to a lot of the community, you know, a, a lot of us didn't really know how to do that. So the way we did it, similar to what Sean was talking about, is through education. So we started off by just really trying to educate some of the entrepreneurs in our community about how to pitch to investors, um, what made a good deal, you know, how to develop a go-to-market strategy, stuff like that. Pretty quickly, we realized investors also really needed that education. Um, you know, we have folks that come from real estate, that, that are, come from healthcare, and this is a very different, uh, different world. And as we've sort of already discovered, it's kind of a different language. There's different terminology, different economics. So we've really used education to bring, uh, bring new folks in and create really low barriers of entry for our angels. Um, so we are investing probably more in the traditional venture capital style than, than what Mark outlined, but we are starting to do um, more alternative investments. We're, I think, just about to do our first revenue-based investment. So I need to talk to you about that. Um, because I think, you know, when I first came in, I started to question why, the, why we were sort of leaning on this old-school venture capital math, which just didn't really make sense, and we were excluding a huge percentage of the entrepreneurs in the community. Um, and, you know, to Mark's point, there's a lot of really good businesses that can be sustainable and actually return something to investors. So that's something we're starting to learn from these guys about and then starting to do in the front range. Well, most of the people I'm associated with have run their own businesses and don't care to run another. So they're not angel prospects at all. I think they're more interested in someone else doing all the dirty work, all, all the engagement, but they're happy to contribute to a fund, a new fund. Uh, the VC market's tough to make money in, um, very tough. Uh, every, the dynamics change regularly. I think it's terrific that we've got these available funds and these three guys up here. That's pretty amazing. This is Carbondale, 6,000 people, small little dot, you know, Mount Sopris. It's amazing what's going on. And when, if you attend some of the um, fundraising events in this, in this community, there's, there's plenty of money. It's a question of tapping into it or making it easy for them to be involved and be engaged. And as I said, no one wants to run a business, I think folks I know, and no disrespect to you guys. Uh, but I think the, uh, the available funding for things here, the awareness about having what Mike uh, has put together, what Tyler's provided as far as facilities, this is uncanny for this little dwarf, as I call it. And um, I would say that um, this, this venue here today is significant and it's, it's not a benchmark, it's, it's the next jump up from, from last year. So I'm, I, I would encourage those who are here to, to absorb what's available because the av funding availability, had, the dynamic has changed significantly. It's not like going to a bank anymore. It's different. And if you're creative and got something going, these guys will listen to you, no question. My guys probably won't. But, <laughs> but that, does, that doesn't mean they wouldn't be interested. Well, I mean, I think given the, the makeup of the room is, is largely entrepreneurs, um, we certainly want to 
cater the message to, to both sides. And, and I think it's important um, that we say, before I get to the next question, this is about engagement. This is not about just today. This is, you know, this is four to seven years in the making to get to today. And this is about the next 20 years of economic resiliency and diversification in this valley. And so that means when you walk out of this room, don't just leave and, and hope for the best, right? Come and engage us, ask us how to get involved. Come join us at CoVenture. Uh, if you haven't seen the space, please come. And, and obviously we'll be talking about it all day, all night. But um, so how does an entrepreneur who has the next great idea, right? Specifically, uh, when it comes to approaching each of you, what is the best way to do that? And, and I'll add, how should they not do that? Great question. I don't know that I want to lead that one, honestly. That's a, he handed the microphone yeah, to you, so. Yeah, that, it's tough. Um, and, I, and I think the answers will be different across the board based off of, you know, the size of your group, the, you know, the stage of companies you want to look at um, in terms of what your expectation is. Uh, in our case, um, you know, we want to be as accessible as we can. And, and so we probably take a lot more just, you know, calls and random emails than I think than most would <laughs> without having a prepared deck or, you know, or whatever else. Um, but I, I think there's, there's two things, right. Um, that definitely stand out. We all have our check boxes that, that are kind of minimum criteria. You have to have, you know, a quality team in place. Um, right. You've got to have that good defensible idea. Um, you know, and, and you have to understand your finances and, and what that model and market size will be. I mean, those sort of really minimal checkbox items. Um, the, the things that I think connect most with us, um, you know, really does revolve around the team. And, you know, when that person comes up and really genuinely and openly kind of expresses what they're trying to accomplish, we're just much more eager to, you know, to, to give that time to listen, even if we don't think you're in a, at an investable state. We're going to spend the effort to help you understand what it takes to become investable, right? What the hurdles and the holes are and help try to, you know, fill that gap and align you with resources that can help. There's a ton of resources um, at the state level. There's educational programs with RVC. There's a lot of people out there willing to help. Um, we have, you know, that sort of one in, in 10 people come in and they take this, you know, drive to the next level to the point, right? It, it is, it's overbearing and abrasive. Like we're all kind of swamped like even you know four points this the smallest sort of chair up here um you know multiple companies per week reaching out to us and you know and it's a lot to sift through and occasionally depending on where we're at in our cycle we'll say like, you know, i can schedule something a few weeks out um you know you you got to set your expectations in terms of availability i think of you know anybody you see sitting up here is is part of it um that's that's sort of my and thing respectful follow through yeah, like always follow up. It's, you know, it is that fine line, right? I always want to know that somebody is, is committed and I'm there. What else do you need? Um, the, you don't understand what I'm telling you, right? Sort of scenario. No competitors. Yeah, it happens a lot. And, you know, so that with, there's a lack of reality check, I think, for some people because you get in your own bubble, right? You love your idea so much that you fail to really, you know, grasp the hurdles that are in front of you. And, and when I see that kind of blind optimism, I definitely want optimism. When I see sort of blind optimism, that's a, like a major sort of, you know, concern for me. Yeah. Knowing how to couch where you're at too and being real about what stage your own business is at. I think one of the most common trends is a lot of people think they're a lot further along than they actually are in the journey of their own company, which is not a bad thing. Just own the reality of like, what are the hard things? What are the easy things? Like, you know, don't try to, you know, walk into relationships with investors and, and 
think about it as a long-term relationship building exercise. Um, I know the folks that we've gotten the closest to are the ones that we've spent the most time with. They didn't just show up and say, we need money next month, we're closing or else, you know, or you're out, you know, it's, it's, no, it's the folks who have taken time, generally showing up to a lot of events and you see the same faces, you kind of get to know the people, you end up reference checking each other throughout, you know, over time, so. Sorry, Dana, it doesn't matter. Go for it. Well, I think that's so key. I mean, that's a good pro tip. Come up to any of us and say, look, I'm not looking for money today, but you know, I'm thinking Tomorrow about it in nice. six months, nine months, 12 months. So I just want to get to know, you know what you're looking for. So I mean, that's, yeah. that's key, because this is totally relationship-based. A um, couple other, just I'll give a couple other just quick tips. Um, so you know, like Sean, we're, we're getting a lot of inquiries coming in. We get about 1,500 applications a year, and then probably another three, 400 from you know referrals from uh, co-investors. So that's a lot. And and if you can kind of get through that, whether it's through a referral from say an investor that's working with us, um, probably the best thing you can do is you can go on any of our websites. We've got portfolio pages, meaning the companies that we've invested in historically. You can see their logos. Go to their websites. Go talk to those folks. Those entrepreneurs will tell you exactly what it's like to work with us, whether we're pain in the ass or if we're great and we're value add, and then get an introduction from them. We get the best referrals from those folks because they know what we're like to work with. And then just one quick thing, what not to do, don't send us like a 200 page business plan <laughs> via email. Please. Ever. Please. And then, uh, Please. And then call us like 15 minutes later and be like, are you in or are you out? We're probably still opening the attachment at that point. So. I think my only suggestion is uh, don't bring the picture of the new car you're going to get with the first round. <laughs> People get overly excited as their financial condition is supposed to change personally, but that's not part of the deal. I yeah. share, share a short story on that one. There's a recent pitch event, not ours, in uh, up in Steamboat. And it was happy hour afterwards, and everybody sat down talking through whatever. And one of the, the guys trying to raise money went off and hopped in his Ferrari convertible, <laughs> like super tricked out, and just peeled out around the corner. And there's a universal. He doesn't need our money. <laughs> like, come on. I, maybe one thing to do and uh, part of that relationship building, send out monthly updates, if not monthly, quarterly. Just regular updates. Figure out what are the key metrics for your business whether it's good or bad, and then ha always have like a set of very you know, easy asks, very specific asks. I need an intro to so-and-so. You know, does anybody know anybody at the state? You know, like whatever, come up with very specific things. And then the consistency is also something, you know, if it builds trust, right, over time. Yeah, and I would, I would also add, not just painting an overly rosy picture. Yeah, just you're not trying tell to impress. Tell the truth, right? yeah. be humble, tell the truth there are going to be flaws in the idea and, and, and in the business, there always are. And just be open about it. I think um, Mark, Mark made the right point. Easy asks. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Easy. I need an Simple. intro to the CEO of Starbucks. No, sorry, I can't uh, do that, no, but. No. How, Howard's busy, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> um, so let's flip that question on its head a little bit and let's talk to the investors or prospective investors in the room. And, and uh, I know a couple of you and, and other folks in this room are, are looking to you know, bring together, let's talk maybe a bit more about West Slope Angels and how to get involved in that. Um, potentially, uh, John, how to get involved in your group. Um, John Kelly, if you wanna at all talk about anybody from Aspen that wants to get involved in your group. And then obviously in Denver um, and, and 
So I think you guys see where I'm going. This, it's important, again, that this conversation doesn't just stay in this room, that this continues on for weeks and months and years to come. So the question is, how do folks who are not clear or who have perhaps tried to get involved, uh, either an angel or VC or otherwise, they want to be an LP, how do they get in touch? How do, they, you know, how do we help you guys? How do we help them get involved? This will definitely go first on. Yeah. Um, so for you know, for Westlope Angels' uh, perspective, it's it's really simple. Uh, I've taken to joking lately. Right, joining the syndicate means you'll, you know, promise to open our emails. Maybe right. Um, everything we do is is opt in. Uh, each individual deal, and our intention, we've done everything we can to sort of lower hurdles for participation. So back to John's point, it's got to be easy, right? The guy that just you know spent his month in Sweden doesn't want to come back and spend you know weeks working with a company hands-on. Um, now maybe if he's got pertinent industry experience, he's really happy to take a few lunch meetings and, and share his wisdom and make some contacts. Sometimes that's more valuable than the money. So you know a few things there, right? Participation in our syndicate um, may not mean any investment, but if you're willing to bring mentorship or even just feedback on the company so that we're making better decisions, also valuable. Um, and then the way we work as we bring investments forward, uh, it's a $10,000 minimum. Uh, and we've done all of our investments to date. We say a zero and 15, so back to terms, um, right? Uh, as typical like a VC fund is often like a, like a two and 20, 2% management fee, 20% carry on the back end. We do a 0% management fee. Um, we are gonna start charging a, a one-time $10,000 upfront fee for management for the lifetime of the investment. And then we do a 15% carry on the back end, meaning 15% of profit comes back to us. So definitely no get rich quick scheme. We expect that sometime five to eight years from now, we'll probably get some, some checks coming back, right? Um, this is about building participation. I and mean, we talk about you know, thousands of people here in Roaring Fork. Um, you know, there's probably a couple thousand, especially if you include second homeowners, a couple thousand accredited investors in Steamboat alone, right? The wealth that we have between you know, Steamboat and Roaring Fork, Aspen, Durango, Telluride is incredible. Um, both financially and intellectually. Um, our, our real motivation is just bringing those people to the table and keeping them engaged, uh, helping with that education so they can support the best of the companies we have. And then uh, the last thing you know, that I'll add from our side, so real easy, you know, reach out to us and say you're interested in, you know, in looking at deals <laughs> and everything you know, is a conversation from there. Um, Colorado, back to the give first ethos and the fact this is kind of a very non-competitive, um, I think from all our perspective, I think I'd encourage you to go to some RBC events. Um, you know, they're, they're a well-oiled machine at this point, so with respect to getting educated on the process, what, it, what it's like to go through you know, 1,500 you know, companies plus per year um, and really see the volume and the sophistication they have is, is a great thing. And as part of Western Slope Angels, over the next uh, couple months, we're looking at a couple companies, one of which here, OP Makeup out of Snowmass. So, um, you know, it's, we want to support things regionally, right? Um, we are currently kind of going through due diligence on a company in your area. So uh, reach out about that. We are also putting together a syndicate investment into Greater Colorado Venture Fund. So this is a kind of a unique proposition. Normally our deal is minimum 10,000 in, and it's for a company. Um, because we're, we're really motivated about getting funds organized and supporting um, rural Colorado companies, we're helping to organize an investment that'll allow uh, you to potentially anybody interested in any accredited investor to get into the Greater Colorado Venture Fund as an LP at lower than their 
uh, at minimum of 100,000. So we're aggregating smaller dollar amounts um, so that you can support rural Colorado via uh, Greater Colorado Venture Fund and support the, you know, several full-time employees that are sort of scouring rural Colorado for the best companies we have to offer. Um, so we can kind of share in that due diligence and work and really sort of move capital in the best way possible. So um, hopefully Mark could have something else to add about that, but really straightforward for us. This is about, you know, showing up for an occasional beer or due diligence session as it, as it suits you. Um, and you do not have to, in fact, we don't want all of our investors to be hounding the companies. That's part of us sort of syndicating this and having a single point of contact for them. But to the extent something really resonates and you have experience, you know, you can have that hands-on contact as well as a buy-in for, for a low dollar amount. That's our sort of motion. So since you said the acronym, what is the, what's the stated IRR that you tell investors? Uh, <laughs> The, the stated IRR, uh, yeah. So we don't do, I mean, we don't have a blanket IRR, right? For every, I guess, back to process. So for any company that, um, and it'll vary. We'll, we've done a mix of revenue-based investing and traditional VC-style investing. So since there was some maybe confusion about that earlier, right? The more traditional model is you buy a piece of the company and you encourage that company to grow as big and fast as possible and then sell off at which point everybody you know gets their their piece of the hopefully much bigger pie back right the revenue based investing you there's a few different ways to do it but the simplest right you buy a portion of the company and if this is a company that can be highly profitable fairly early on the founders then can buy essentially buy that equity back over a period of time and you may own a comparatively small amount on the tail end so we're doing a bunch of those different models and depending on expected exit, time frame, all that, right? Things like IRR, which is a time-based calculation, can, can vary quite a bit. But I think for all the companies we're going in, we're looking at it as a, we're, most of them are looking at it as a potential VC deal. Um, there will be some that are maybe more impact motivated, right? And so that's back to, we're driven by investors um, that if there's a half a dozen people here in the community that wants to support a local business that is going to return 2x in five years but people are really thrilled to be a part of it we want to help support you know the legal framework and the due diligence to get that deal done and get the capital placed the vast majority of our our investments are looking for you know much higher vc style returns right yep. and, and while we're passing the mic i i have a clipboard going around is that still circulating did it disappear all right there it is all right uh Let's, uh, for, for those of you who would like to stay in touch, please do put your name down. So while we're on IRR, I just want to talk about something. So just to further define this, so IRR, internal rate of return. So as Sean kind of talked about, the easiest way to understand this, everybody kind of knows ROI, right, return on investment. So that's pretty clear. Like when he says 2x, that's great. But the problem uh, historically is that that 2x, it's really dependent on when you get that. So if he gets that in three years, that's pretty good from an IRR perspective. But if it takes him 30 years, Sean has not made a good investment. <laughs> and so here's where the VC math comes into play. So some of you who are entrepreneurs have probably heard um, 10x is kind of the, the multiple that VCs, venture capitalists, are looking for. The reason that 10x is there, and specifically why it's there in five years, is it comes to this number of, of 58 percent, 58% IRR, internal rate of return. So 58% interest is what VCs are looking for. 
on their investment. If you went to a bank and they, they tried to charge you 58% interest, they'd get shut down tomorrow. It's crazy, right? But this is the venture math. And then in practice, you know, successful funds um, typically are actually getting something like 22, 23% IRR, which is still actually pretty damn good. Uh, but that sort of, that delta is really the, why I think a lot of people are questioning this and part of the reason, further argument for revenue-based investments. All right, I'll get off that soapbox, but I just want to touch on that because I think it's crazy. I've never understood it. And anyway, so ways to get engaged uh, as investors and especially for the folks that are, you know, building investor communities, uh, just a couple quick, like, high-level things um, that I think are really, you, you could look at, like, Brad Feld's Startup Communities book and apply that to building investor communities just the same. So just being really inclusive is important. That's one thing we've really tried to, tried to do. Um, regardless of the background you have, how much experience you have as an investor, even if you don't know anything we're talking about, we tried to create really low barriers of entry so you can learn uh, as you go. And so there's no requirement when you join our group to like invest within the first 12 months. Um, you know, the, the minimums are about what Sean talked about, 10,000. So what we try to do is get you sort of educated with, with live ammo, teach you about diversification, teach you about what makes a good deal. And our approach has been to throw kind of a lot of companies and deals in front of new investors. The idea being if they can sort of see a bunch, they can, they can sort of come to a place where the, their barometer gets, gets set faster. Um, so that's just been our approach. But uh, largely what we recommend is that you just go out and attend as much stuff, whether it's events like this, um, you know, going in and attending the live stream of demo days of accelerators that might be happening all around the state, just watching a bunch of these things as an investor and start to determine what you really like. Because as a new investor, this is what happens. At first, everything looks amazing and you wanna invest in every damn deal. And then there's this weird swing where like everything looks horrible and you're super nervous and you become really risk aware. And then you kind of have to come to this place where you sort of swing in the middle and, and that takes some time. So that's sort of the, the best recommendation is just look at a number of deals. Don't feel the need to just write a check in the first company that, that you see. And I know entrepreneurs, that's not what you want to hear, but you have anything? I, I would just second, just join a group. Um, it you know cost is zero to get in, and I think you get exposure to the due diligence process, uh, both from the investment and you see what the entrepreneurs go go through. Watch a few of those. Don't rush into it. <laughs> but West Slope Angels, RBC, both great places to start. And obviously, we're working with West Slope Angels on on providing more insight into what we're doing at the fund level. In a little bit later stage. A few times, right, where people said, well, I'm, I'm an opt-in and I'll, I'll consider my MBA in investing. Right? So when you get to a point where it's a, it's a comfortable, you know, check size um, and, and some comfort with the investment, the participation is, is really interesting, right? When you can get in the, the due diligence room and banter back and forth about the pros and cons of the business and the difference in perspective is, is pretty incredible. Like the diversity of opinions surprises me still to this day. So you guys have gotten a great explanation of the what. <laughs> How to approach these is to be realistic. Have a story. Have a real story about what you're doing. Be able to say the story in less than a minute. This is what I'm doing, here's why I'm doing it, and this is where I'm going. Very simple. You'd be surprised when people stumble over that. 10 to 12 slides. Don't read your slides. 
talk to your slides. I've seen 50 slide decks. I'm going, where are they going? Right? Be, be simple. Be easy. Uh, be calm. Come in calm and easy and know what you're doing. And it's not a game. When you take these fellas' time and, or, and our guys, th th I mean, they're taking you seriously. So, so have it as clean as possible and, and stay as realistic as you can. The opportunity sometimes to accelerate your plan come from the people you're visiting with for money because you've missed some things that they've seen. If they're looking at 1,500 business plans, holy smokes, there's a pattern, right? There's a very clear pattern. So I'm just suggest keep it simple, know your story, know what you're about, keep your presentation as clean and simple as possible, 10, 12 slides, talk to the slides, don't read them because that's the first sign that you don't know what you're doing. That's enough. John, did you want to say anything about getting involved in Aspen? Uh, sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, John Kelly is a longtime friend, strong entrepreneur, LP in GCBF, yeah. and is now working on something new. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're actually just getting going in, in Aspen and, and really wanted to uh, leverage what Sean and his group were doing. Hopefully we're going to work with you guys. Um, we have a lot of folks in Aspen. Um, as you might imagine, who come in who are either existing LPs, uh, existing angel investors, or otherwise involved in the community. Uh, I've been given a platform this year. I'm the incoming learning chair for YPO Aspen. So we're going to do a big event uh, this summer, likely in late July, early August. Uh, we're going to do a pitch event, and we're going to do a bunch of education uh, that, uh, that Mark's team and hopefully Sean will help us out with to really uh, help people to understand what's going on in Colorado, what's going on in the Western Slope, and to really find the ways that they can plug in. What I've, what I've found is it's been most effective to plug into existing funds, the people who see hundreds and hundreds, thousands of deals, and then learn, you know, learn to be an investor that way through the deals that they're working on and through sidecars. So we want to try to deliver that education to the folks in Aspen and bring them into these communities. That's our goal. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, John, for finally stepping finally up. Doing it. Yeah, Dave asked me for about five years to do that. Right. Um, so, Mr. Lowe, how are we doing on time? Uh, it's officially 423. We obviously have another panel after this. Did you guys more questions? Sure. Yep. And uh, that's where I was going to do. That's where I was going to go. So, how about let's um, we'll do a handful of questions from the audience. Um, if we do not get to your questions, or if there are folks you would like introductions to, and obviously there's no, no surprise here, these guys are going to be swamped after this, you can come talk to myself, you can come talk to Mike. Mike, will you raise your hand in the back, please? And obviously come talk to Tyler as well. Um, so, please, go ahead. I do. Yeah, the question was um, uh, gender percentages of, I think, both our portfolio, what we've invested in, and then our investors. Um, so so we're, we're an angel network. So kind of like Sean was mentioning, everybody's making their own independent decisions. So that's the 215 I mentioned. Of the 215, I'm going to lead with the bad number here, by the way. 215, 15% of those are female. Okay, that's the bad number. That's something we've been trying to work on. The good number that we're really proud of is when we look at the portfolio, the companies we're actually backing in, 
it's it's just under 50%. We were over 50% up until just recently. So we're right about 48% that are female founders, which we're really proud of. Um, and that's our long-term strategy to change that first number is that we invest in them, they're gonna do great, and then they'll become angel investors themselves. But that's gonna take some time. Um, so this is something that's actually, when you look at angel groups nationally, the average is under 10% are female. So the majority of these are male investors. So it's something we've been really intentional about changing. Um, we've brought on a, a female partner, female director, which has helped to help to bring in more folks. But um, yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, going back to what I was saying about inclusivity, if I was starting from scratch, that's really where I would try to focus because I think it adds so much value when you've got a diversity, not only um, in the portfolio of what you're investing in, but also on the investor side of the table. So good question. Sure. On the portfolio side, we have uh, three out of the seven have a female co-founder, and um, we're seeing that fairly consistently across the board. I would say if we look at, we've looked at about 200 companies across rural Colorado, and I'd say the, the stats, about 25% on average have a female co-founder. Um, so it's lower than what we've benchmarked and seen on the front range um, in the rural markets which for some, not surprising, but definitely something we're very intentional about and tracking on the LP side for the fund. We have four out of our 11 LPs. Um, you know, there's a couple institutions that I don't know how to answer, but yeah. And what percentage of the businesses are, their businesses dependent on being in Colorado? Dependent on being on call, I would say like all of them have chose, so a hundred. Oh, their revenues are coming yeah, from? They, like they're a local coffee shop, like yes, they're not selling coffee to somebody out of state versus businesses that it doesn't matter where they are, so you're attracting them in terms of bringing in software, you know, digital media and so forth. Like what's kind of the profile of the companies that only one out of seven for us. Yeah, and zero for us, right? So part of our, our you know definition of a startup, right, is a company that has that potential to scale, which, which really implies the ability to sell outside of your local region, right? So truly regional companies, there's a, there's a real cap on, you know, how that company can grow. Um, so I think every company that we're invested in is in some way, shape, or form, you know, selling outside of their local area. Charlie, are you shipping co that great coffee out of state yet? Um, we're trying to. <laughs> yeah, and the one who's not is trying to. So. Exactly. <laughs> For us, yeah. Uh, other questions? Uh, either from an investor or an entrepreneur, please. So um, this may not apply on the angel side, but on the VC side, how do you think about managing dilution over time? Well, he said VC, so I'm going to let you answer, but it definitely applies on the angel side, too. In some ways, even more because you tend to be in earlier, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he was asking about, you know, how you account for dilution, basically, which means if, if a company raises, you know, some amount of money and just to make it really easy, I'm going to value the company at a million dollars and they raise a hundred thousand. So I just bought 10% of that company. If they go down the road and they raise more money and they, they double that, right? Everybody's sort of ownership gets watered down or diluted. 
And that's a really ownership does, but the value should be increasing. The value should be increasing, should be right. Um, But if you're, if that, and and that's why you can do it, you can get your investors to go along and maybe my 10% goes down to to nine or to 8% because I'm giving a little bit away. If you're on a growth curve, that's fine. If you're taking what they call it a down round, right. And you're maybe even lowering the value of the company and giving up a percentage, right. That's when, that's when things are sinking. Um, so the, the challenge there is, I think that's a, an incredibly complicated, uh, conversation depending on the way you raise money. So there's convertible notes with a discount. There's, you know, our various forms of revenue based investing safes, people raise money without setting evaluation and they kick that can down the road with convertible notes. You don't really necessarily know. And there's no shortage of well-deserved articles out there that try to explain to entrepreneurs you bet they're the ones that really better understand the, uh, you know, the effects of dilution and what happens, because if you know you're going to raise again, or if you just might, you may end up with such a small percentage of your company that you just don't have that kind of win that you, you thought you would at the start, because you have to just keep giving pieces away. So the investors, all of us watch it. We all probably understand, you know, what our percentage is likely to track to based on the couple likely scenarios. It's, I think, you know, for me, I see the, the, less sophisticated entrepreneurs that struggle with the terms and the different types of term sheets and protections that if you're, if you're not aware and you don't have somebody operating in your best interest, and we always try to make sure it's, it's just really clear and transparent for everyone, but a lot of people get caught. And then in that next round, they just realize their percentage got cut in half and they don't know what happened. Yeah. I'd say for us, it's like three things. It's on the equity and convertible note side. So revenue-based investment, we're focused on profitability and never needing another round and therefore not having to deal with this, um, hopefully, right? And then, um, so, but on the other side, it's, it's pro rata rights. You wanna, if they do raise another round, you wanna be able to buy up to the same amount of shares, right? Pretty standard term that you'd see in most term sheets. And then for us internally, our strategy to execute on that is a follow-on strategy. So we can put at least 1x our original investment up to probably about 5x our original investment, depending on the company. Um, statistically, that's actually where a lot of equity investors have the highest RRR out of their portfolio strategy um, to tie that together. And then the third is just like relationships, just staying close to founders because you know you have information rights uh, generally, another standard term for any investor, but um, getting the data, staying close to your founders, knowing what they're working on, being close and just supportive of them, because the entrepreneur is going to take care of you as an investor if you are always there providing support yep. and help, yep. and then yep. you can see around the corners yep. a little better. Yeah, and I'll just add from like an actual percentage perspective, um, we generally communicate something like a 20% equity um, percentage for a given round. That's sort of a, we're not that firm on that, but that's that's what we tell entrepreneurs to sort of estimate. And I mean, kind of going back to the dilution example. So if you think about that, if you're gonna do 20% and you do five rounds, you might be thinking like, okay, if I do 20% and five rounds of capital, I'm left with zero. But you know, the nice thing, there's good dilution too, because you know, think of it like a pie, like your your pie is getting much larger, even though your, your piece is getting smaller, so the value is going up. So I think just getting educated on what dilution means, but the the 20% is kind of a good benchmark for us. We're, uh, I think at the angel level, a little less sensitive about the actual percentage. And even at the VC level, until you get to like series A and B where you're raising significant rounds, we're not that particular. Um, And then in nature, things are not like Shark Tank. That's just another thing to really keep in mind. Because if you watch that show, 
those guys are jerks. They're taking like 75%, 80% equity in these businesses. Totally. That doesn't happen. So watch it's, the show, but don't, don't learn from it. <laughs> if you're in one of those deals, yeah, yeah something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I just might suggest the term angel is a bit misleading. Because, because, yeah, I, I could. Deal with the devil. Mic drop. <laughs> Well, I think I think you know we we struggle here in Carbondale because we don't have a a medium for people to invest in companies, and um, getting to know these these three great guys here, that's a start. It's awareness. I, mean, I sit on the board of the chamber here, and interesting, we had a meeting on Tuesday, fifteen people, and we blew right past your agenda. Boy, co-venture, terrific, hallelujah, high fives, let's move on. So I stopped them and explained what you were doing here and what's happening here. It's amazing how little they knew. There's so many things. Have, did you all go to the fashion show here? Holy smokes, that's a Hollywood production, right? <laughs> it's carbon. I mean, that would, that's big time stuff for a little, little community that we've got. But I think, Mike, to answer your question, we need a medium. <laughs> we need, a, I don't know whether it's a Carbondale fund. I don't know which is being discussed. I don't know whether it's getting these guys act. I don't know whether we all join together and, and give them a menu of things. But it's getting familiar with the, the investors I know, and, and, and I'm sure in Aspen, they, they know the game. It's a question of do I trust, do I trust these folks? Am I going to have some funds? Is there going to be some wine? I mean, at the end of the day, they, they don't need, most of them don't need the money. It's, it's something for them to do. It's a, pl it's, it's a place to pay for jet fuel when they come in. Really. So, I mean, we missed it. We get too sophisticated. And we get a, it, they're looking for some fun. They're looking to be, participate in some things, write off a few expenses, and, but they're here. And, and I think we need to be a little less timid and kind of get out there and just say, come on, hey, guys, let's play. Let's play. And, you know, how do we play? Well, here are the rules. They're pretty simple. All right, I don't want to run it. I don't want to touch that. And someone else says, what kind of angel am I getting as my partner? Well, get ready. If you're married, get ready, because you're going to have a third partner. <laughs> and, and sometimes you're not going to like the conversations that these people have taken faith, the leap of faith these fellows have presented. So their butts are on the line a little bit. So just understand that there are a lot of people willing to give you money if you approach them the right way. There are willing investors. There really are. But from a, from a valley standpoint, God, we got four rivers coming together here. We got lots of mountains. This is a special place. And people want a reason to come out. You can give them another reason by get, taking some of their money. <laughs> we call it the New Age Ski Club in Telluride. Exactly. It's a perfect thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Any burning questions? Sir? For those uh, who do want to make a little money, uh, who could use the you guys return, uh, having this year return to your investment? 
Yeah, we do. You've been around the longest. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, going back, to, you know, going back to what I said, I mean, 1985, it's not like we've got a lot of clear data until we did our reset. Um, so, you know, a lot of our companies are still basically paper returns, meaning that they haven't returned anything, they haven't exited yet, but we're tracking their progress. So to that IRR discussion, I mean, we're, we're in the 30 to 35% range with our first fund and then with just the angel group portfolio. Um, and we've had three exits since I've been there. We're actually just about to have another exit, hopefully like Monday or Tuesday. Would you define great. your exits? Yeah, so an, an exit is really just a liquidity event. So How much? the volume, dollar amount. Of each of those? People know. Uh, yeah, sure. So, <laughs> but just let, let me just clarify this because I think this is a really, really important thing to clarify. Because I think, especially for the entrepreneurs, you often hear exit and you're like, whoa, I don't want to leave the business, you know? But it, it's often not the case. In fact, most of the time, the founders are going with the company when, if they're acquired or whatever. Um, but it's part of the reason revenue based investments, what, what Mark and his team are working on, is important because that liquidity is coming faster. And that's really key. So, I mean, to answer your question, we've had one that was a, uh, it was 3X in about two and a half years. This one that we're about to get, um, it's gonna be finalized, so I can't say exactly yet, but it's probably looking to be about two to 3X in about 18 months, which is really fast. And then the other one was, um, I think it was about four years and, and came to about three or 4X. So, so far all pretty good from an IRR perspective. But we don't take the approach of like, these all have to be 10 to 100x. We don't take the home run ap approach. So the singles and doubles are, are often what we're looking for. Yep, that's a, that's a great percentage. Can you, I know we're probably out of time, but diversified portfolio? Uh, based on sector? For, for an Stage? angel investor, right? Oh yeah, yeah basic, sure, sure, Basic sure, sure. strategy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, our recommendation for, for new angels is that you're not really diversified until you get to like till you know 15 to 20 true diversification historically comes like 50 plus um if you really want to go crazy and you get to like a thousand companies you're you're historically going to get something like 3x almost guaranteed but who has the time to do that uh so generally we recommend you know if you're going to do uh, if you're going to be a new angel investor depending on how much capital you have to allocate uh you want to get to a portfolio of about 20 that's pretty good diversification and, um, and, and that's part of you know, what we try to do is, if you, say you have 250,000 to invest, do not put that in one company, okay? Just the math is not on your side. Spread that out you know, across, uh, across 20. Put 10K, 10K in 20 companies and, and spread yourself out. Yeah. You guys want to chime in briefly? We have yeah, time for just one last question, and that's gonna be it. Guys? I, I would just, Pay attention to the diversification thing because we've seen a lot of people rush into deals. I just really want to caution that because it's it every it sounds like oh yeah everybody should know that, but almost nobody does it their first time <laughs> from our experience, yeah. and we've had to like really put up disclaimers and even in the Telluride Angels group when, that when, we've had. When you're the person who's you know wants to write off as jet fuel, right, and you you find a company you're attached to that one or two, you're diversified elsewhere in a great many ways, and that may not be important, but you know, if you're really concerned about getting a return from your angel investments, it is an important part to consider. Make sure that you can go in enough to, you know, to be in enough deals to spread that risk out across companies. Right? Oh, and from a portfolio standpoint, we're going to get our first repayment uh, January 11th <laughs> from our revenue, our first revenue-based deal uh, next year, and that's looking really good. And then I need to update you, but one of our companies that we're co-invested in <laughs> is uh, entering acquisition conversations right now.
Dave, if I might. And the, and the first investment was August? We started in, yeah, September, really. Okay. John? Yeah, just, just a quick comment. The money does exist. We just completed raising $18 million to pay for a portion of our new hospital, and it all came from the Valley. It's unbelievable uh, what kind of people are willing to step up. So last, last question, please. They're all about 22. <laughs> <laughs> um, our, our average is, is about uh, high 50s, I'll say, 58, 59. Uh, but we're seeing an emerging group of folks that are, are younger that are coming across. Uh, going back to near the beginning of the conversation about accredited investors, there's uh, a lot of activity happening around the front range to get non-accredited investors up to speed so that ideally if those rules change, we'll have a much bigger pool of capital. Um, but yeah, typically, you know, you're talking about folks that have, have been successful in another business and then can return that capital. Um, but we have a pretty healthy mix of age in terms of our portfolio. Our youngest CEO, I think, is 22, and our oldest is 70. Similar. We have a surprising number of 30-somethings that, you know, they sold their first company and Average age of founders for us, I think, is like 41. Founders or something? Founders is about 41, and LPs is, I don't know, again, we have institutions, so hard to answer, but yeah. probably a little higher. All right, so thank you. Thank you to all our panelists.